0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together as a body of Christ and praise your name. Lord, as you reign over us and are in control of all things, Lord, we just worship you. We trust you, Father. I pray that more and more, really day by day, Father, we would give more and more of our lives to you, more and more of our hearts to you. Trust you, Father. Trust you in so many different ways. and. and often in things that we don't think about or or never trusted you in. Lord, I pray you just give us the strength and the courage to do those things. Lord, I pray for our time this morning and I I pray as I've been doing now for several weeks for the other churches of our area. Lord, as as they are right now engaged in worship and in preaching, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through all the local pastors, Father. I pray you do great things in our churches. I pray this morning specifically for Andy Buchanan. For Franklin Road Baptist Church, Father, I pray you would just do a great work in their hearts. As Andy opens the truth of your word this morning, I pray you just give him words to speak. Would remove his own personal faults and his own personal desires and fill him with the Spirit. And then, Father, I pray you do great things through that church and through every other church in our area, Father. I pray that revival would spring up in the midst of our churches and that you would receive honor and glory in that process, Father. Be with me right now as I open up the text and preach this morning i pray father for your truth for your courage to be bold and lord i pray through the power of the spirit that as we listen to your word we could be transformed more into the image of your son jesus christ it's in his name we pray amen open your bibles this morning to genesis 48 genesis 48 this is our final week in our study of the book of Genesis, what started in January of 2015. And yeah, I I got my years right. It was 2015, January 2015. We're finishing today, a year and a half later. I joked with the other services because this is the first sermon series that I ever started without honestly knowing when I was going to finish. I think part of that was I was afraid you would mute me if I told you it was going to be a year and a half. So I just kind of kept my mouth closed. (laughs) But here we are a year and a half later. Just on a personal note, thank you for your support. I've had a great time preaching through this and and you guys have been um, so kind and I just pray the Lord's been honored. I pray your understanding of scripture and especially some Old Testament history uh, has been enriched and I pray through that process the Lord has uh, spoken to you through his word and that he's received glory in the whole process. So praise his name for everything he's done during this series. I want to review very quickly and then here's what I want to do this morning. I want to kind of look back about where we've been The process of the Lord blessing. I want to kind of look at where we're going because I want the story to continue. Our, Our study will stop this morning, but the story in Scripture continues. And then I want to kind of think about what that means to us. How do we then apply that to our lives? And so over the last several weeks, we've been studying, obviously, Joseph and his father, Jacob. And last week, we talked about the reconciliation of Joseph and Jacob. We talked about how the Lord spoke to Jacob we talked about how Jacob blessed Pharaoh and we've seen this kind of theme and this pattern over the last several weeks of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And what we've said and what we've seen scripturally is that when, when we repent, forgiveness is offered and when forgiveness is offered, there's reconciliation. I've been just really pleased and, and kind of almost surprised by the number of people that have come to me over the last several weeks wanting to talk about one of those three areas. It's amazing, when you start talking about repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation, especially as it relates to families or close personal relationships, we all find ourselves sometimes struggling in those areas, don't we? We all understand the need for repentance. We all understand the need for forgiveness. We all understand the the need for reconciliation. So it's my prayer that even today as we think again about how the Lord is at work, that he would work in your heart that he would work in your life, that he would work in your family. And where we left off last week, Jacob, this kind of nobody of a guy is the way I phrased it. He stood up in front of the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh, and he offered a blessing to him. And we said last week the reason he could do that is because he believed in the blessing and the plan of the Lord. He had seen it, he understood it, he had faith in it, he knew the Lord was working and he knew the Lord could bless other people through him. And so if we were to continue reading in Genesis 47, we would see that we study and understand the famine a little bit more, that there are five years remaining in the famine, just like Joseph said there would be. And so I want to start this morning in Genesis 48, I'm going to talk a little bit in 48, spend the bulk of our time in 49 and then kind of a quick summary what does this mean for us so genesis 48 beginning in verse 1 we have it on the screen as well genesis 48 beginning in verse 1 jacob has just finished blessing pharaoh we've just been reminded of the famine and all the disaster that's fallen upon egypt and now genesis 48 verse 1 after this joseph was told behold your father is ill So he took with him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Joseph said to him, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you, For an everlasting possession. Now, let's stop there and let's just remember all we've seen about the Lord at work, all we've seen with the the hand of the Lord upon his people, upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and everything we've seen up to this point, and what we're going to see again today, is really centered on this idea or revolves around this idea of God's plan. And so everything we're going to see this morning has to do with God's plan. And so I'm going to give you kind of three points along the way that relate to God's plan that'll help us understand not only what God has accomplished, but what he's going to accomplish in the future. So here's truth number one. Number one, we see very simply in the first four, four verses of Genesis 48, God's plan through his promises. We're reminded of God's plan through his promises. Now let's back up for a second, I just want to remind you of some important things because I want to kind of take maybe a 30,000 foot view and then I want to kind of hone in on your life specifically. When we studied, when we began our study in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 all those months ago, the first thing we started with was Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created and then we went through the process. First seven days of creation. We spent a long time on those first seven days. We spent many weeks. I think we may have taken a a week. Every day was a different week. And we studied through and we understood God's power and God's creation. And one of the things we begin to understand in this process is that when God created the heavens and the earth, he did it with a plan in mind. He did it with design Now, if you weren't here with us or didn't get a chance to listen to those sermons online, you need to understand, the creation of the earth was not some random event. It wasn't a lot of random things that just kind of happened and all of a sudden, poof, here we are. Instead, what we see is that the God of the universe from the beginning had a plan. He created the universe with design and with order. Now, when he did that on the final day of creation, you can go back and you can read the account, the very last thing that God created was what? you remember? Us. And he, he put this really cool stamp on us, different from anything else he created. He didn't create the stars the same way. Or the moon or the planets or the animals or all the fish or the birds or He didn't create anything else like He created us because when He created us, the Bible says He put this stamp on us and He said, You are created in my image. You remember that, right? And so we're different. We stand alone in creation. God says, I've created the universe, I've created it with the design, and I've designed it in such a way that, that the image bearer, the human, we, the people, that we live on this planet and we live in this universe by design and with a plan. So here's the interesting thing, right? We started with the, kind of the universe, the, the big picture plan of the Lord. He kind of whittled that down a little bit to the earth, the creation of the earth. He whittled that down now to the creation of humankind. So his plan in the universe, his plan for his creation in the planet, his plan now for humankind. And then as we study through Genesis, we begin to see, we, we whittle it down and bring it a little closer to home. We see that God's plan now is through the individual. So universe, earth, humankind, individual. God says, I'm going to use you, Adam and Eve. I'm going to use you, Noah. I'm going to use you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to use you, Moses. On and on the list goes. God says, I'm going to take my plan for creation, and I'm going to accomplish very specific things through individuals. So we should ask ourselves the question, very simply, what's God's plan for my life? What does he want to accomplish through me? That really should drive our purpose. If you think going to work tomorrow morning is about a raise or promotion or money or whatever, those things are part of the process, but it's really about God sending you there for a reason. Did you know that? When you are involved in that sports team, it's not just about the sport. That's part of the equation, but it's really about God sending you to be part of that team to accomplish certain things. When you go to lunch today, you think it's just about eating lunch, and and surely you're going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy my lunch. But what it's really about is God's purpose in sending us. Why did he send us to that specific restaurant and allow us to have that specific waitress or waiter to come to our table? He's got a reason for these things. It's all part of the design. And we miss kind of the big picture of Scripture if we don't understand that God's got a plan and he demonstrates it through his word time and time again. Jacob understood that. Look again at verse 3 and 4. I just want to pull this out for you to see it. Jacob understands God's plan Through God's promises. Look at what he says in verse 3 there. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, verse 4, and said to me, behold. Now, if you've been with us the whole time, these words in the next few sentences will make a lot of sense to you. Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. That's the first thing he said to Adam and Eve. It's the first thing he said to Noah when he came off the boat. He's saying it again now to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will make you a company of peoples, right? A great nation and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. See, throughout the book of Genesis, the promise of God is clear. God sends us to this earth on a very specific mission. I had the opportunity this week. I was at the Diverse Power yearly meeting and they asked me to come and pray for them and I did And I had the opportunity while I was there to sit next to, while I was on the stage, a World War II veteran. Now, if you don't know much about history, there are not a lot of World War II veterans still alive. The greatest generation is dying out pretty quickly. And this man was 99 years old. 99. He was going to be 100 here in just a few months. And he literally, before he he, uh, led, he got to get up and say a couple words. He literally got out his harmonica and played a hymn in front of everybody. Amazing. 99 years old. And then he was going to lead this big group in the Pledge of Allegiance. He was sitting beside me on the stage right before they called him up the Pledge of Allegiance. He leaned over to me and he said, how does the thing start again? <laughs> but I actually asked if I could sit next to him. I wanted to sit next to him on stage because how often do you get a chance to sit next to a 99-year-old World War II veteran? Right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend like this is what I do with my kids all the time. They get tired of hearing it, but you know, you you get certain opportunities in life that may not pass you by again. You should take advantage of them. I had an opportunity to sit next to this man who has accomplished who knows what and seen who knows what. I should let him speak into my life for a couple of minutes. And so I sat down with him, sitting there on stage, and I'm just asking him a little bit about his family. He's a hundred years old almost. His kids. He's got six. Four of them have already passed away. And I, I just wanted to know a little bit more about him. I said, "Well." Uh, how, you know, I'm assuming at your age, your, your wife is passed on. I said, how long ago did your wife die? And in just, you know, no expression, no smile, no nothing. He said, which one? I outlived two of them. I was like, I mean, you pick, I don't know. You tell me. But I asked him about his service, and get this now, he was in the Army and then the Navy in World War II, which again, that puts him on just a whole other different level. Served in the Pacific on a transport ship, went through the Panama Canal. That's pretty cool, that's a lot of interesting stuff. But as I started talking to him, I was just reminded of just a real simple truth, right? That he understood, and I understood, and anybody that served our country understands. We know very simply that when these people go into the military, they are trained and they are equipped and they are sent with a very specific mission in mind, right? They didn't train this guy in the Second World War and equip him and then say, you know what? Why don't you just try to figure out how to get over to the Pacific? You know, you figure out how to get there and then once you get there, see if you can, see if you can do something to help the war effort. We don't know, make it up as you go. They don't say stuff like that. They equip him and they train him. They put him on a specific boat and they send him to a specific place to accomplish a very specific mission and then they hold him accountable for whether or not he did it. Why do we understand that in the world and in the military and in our jobs but we miss it in our spiritual walk? How is that? Do you really think God created the universe with this grand design and this grand plan and then he says to you, well, just good luck on the earth. Just do the best you can. Maybe one day you'll kind of figure it out. But too many of us live like that, don't we? We wander through life not really knowing what the Lord's called us to do, not really figuring it out. We just kind of do the best we can. We hope that one day he'll use us. Hope is not a strategy. Did you know that? (laughs) Instead, what we understand is God has called us to a very specific purpose with a very specific plan. And he desires to accomplish things through us. Jacob understood God's plan because of the promises the Lord had made. Now, the end of that chapter, Jacob's going to bless Joseph's two sons. And then I want to spend a few minutes in Genesis 49. So flip over to Genesis 49 because something's about to happen that's going to be a little bit different in Genesis 49. Jacob is now going to call all of his sons together and he's going to kind of bless them and he's going to prophesy over them. So look at Genesis 49, 1 and 2. Then Jacob called his sons. By the way, these are the last words he's going to speak on this earth. He, the Bible's already told us he sat up in bed and kind of mustered the energy to speak. Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Right? So I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Now stop there. I want to give you the second truth. And before I give it to you, I want to explain something to you. I'm going to give you this second truth before I really explain it because I want you to notice some things throughout the next few verses. Okay, so here's truth number two. We've already seen God's plan through his promises. Number two, now we're going to see God's plan through Messiah. Now, I want to explain something to you because some of you are probably thinking, wait a minute now. We're in Genesis and Jesus is not going to be born for many, many centuries It's going to be the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so why why would we be thinking or talking about Messiah in Genesis 49 when we are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from his birth? Well, because as we begin to think and as we begin to understand, especially when we get to Judah in verses 8 through 12, we're going to see glimpses of Messiah, and we're going to see that God has got a plan through that process. And so let's just begin by reading in verse 3. Genesis 49, Jacob has called his sons. He's gonna go down the sons list in order and he's gonna speak to each one of them. It begins with Reuben in verse three. So here's what the word says. Reuben, you're my firstborn. My might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. So, so far, so good for Reuben. Good job, Reuben. But now verse four, everything changes. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel For you went up into your father's bed, into my couch, and defiled it. So Jacob says, Listen, Reuben, because you were sinful, because you defiled my my bed, because you sinned against me, because of all the things you've done, I'm going to exclude you. You're no longer going to excel. And so we see with the firstborn, he should have become the leader of the family. He should have been entitled to kind of a double share of the inheritance, but because he was destructive and deceitful and sinful and never repented of those specific sins, Jacob says to him, I'm going to pass over you with the blessing. Now, let's just think through this just for a second because this is interesting to me. We're going to go through two more brothers before we get to Judah. Now, if you were to fast forward, don't do it now, but if you were to fast forward to Matthew the genealogy of christ you would know that christ comes through the line of judah that's the that's the path and we'll see that in just a minute but think about it like this reuben who was the firstborn, should have been entitled to that privilege and to that inheritance but because reuben was sinful that was taken away from him taken away from his two other brothers we'll see in a second and given to judah Now, this is is a whole other idea. I'm not going to really get into it now, but just think about this just for a moment. Because of Reuben's sinfulness, he missed the blessing of Messiah. That's a big deal. What blessings are we missing because of our sinfulness? I think it's a fair question to ask. What does God have in store for us that because of our sinfulness, he's never allowed us to fully understand or see? You know, Moses didn't even make it into the promised land. We're in Exodus now. I'm not going to go through that. But Moses did make it into the promised land. Why? Because of his sinfulness. How many blessings, how much joy are we missing in our lives because we've chosen to sin against the Lord? So Reuben is off. Now verse 5. Two next brothers, Simeon and Levi. Verse 5 of Genesis 49. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, right? Jacob is distancing himself now from his sons. For they've killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So Jacob says, listen, Simeon and Levi, because your sins are so great, you're also going to be excluded from this blessing. So Reuben is out, Simeon is out, Levi is out. Now we come to Judah, verse 8. Now before I read Judah, I want to remind you something, because this is an important distinction. If you're processing through and maybe looking ahead a little bit, maybe you've thought to yourself, wait a minute, Reuben is out because of his sin. Simeon and Levi are both out because of their sin. Maybe you're thinking, but Judah was sinful as well. And there's all sorts of examples in Scripture, in the book of Genesis, of the sins of Judah. Sexual immorality, he lied, he was immoral in other ways, the list goes on and on. But here's the difference between Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, the fourth brother. Judah, you remember, several weeks ago, came to his brother Joseph and repented of his sins. You remember that? He confessed of his sins. And so because of his recognition of his sin... Because of his repentance, here's the process again, there was forgiveness. And because there was forgiveness, there was reconciliation. And so God now is going to allow Jacob to use his son or to bless his son Judah through which the line of Christ will come. So we're going to look in verse 8. And as we go through this, I want you to understand a couple of very quick things. The first thing is we're talking specifically about Judah here, okay? Judah is going to be a king and rulers are going to come from him. We understand that. But in these verses, there's also a picture of Messiah. But here, here's what you need to get. You're going to have to trust me here. Because as we read through this the first time, you're probably not going to see Messiah in it. Unless you really know some scripture. And you might. But you're probably not going to see Messiah. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to trust me to walk through Genesis 49, 8 through 12 to get to this point, And then I promise I'm going to tie it together for you and you'll see it. Okay, so Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, now we're to the fourth brother. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Now, by the way, if you've ever heard of the lion, L-I-O-N, the lion of Judah, that's exactly where this comes from, Genesis chapter 49. Now, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he... To whom it belongs, Shiloh shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now that's an interesting verse. I'm going to come back to it in just a minute. Verse 11. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Now, there's several key ideas, and I just want to work through those ideas very quickly this morning. I want you to see them and understand what they say about Judah, but in a minute, we're going to tie this to Messiah. One of the first things we see in verse 8 is that Judah is going to be a great ruler. We see that right off the bat. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Now, we understand scripturally that from the line of Judah will come great kings of Israel, David. Solomon, on and on the list goes, right? From Judah will come great rulers. And so if you were to study through the Old Testament time and time again, you would read about the tribe of Judah. You would read about the line of Judah. You would read about all the kings that come from Judah. So Joseph, excuse me, Jacob is saying to Judah, Listen, son, you are going to be a leader, you are going to be a ruler from your family. Kings will come. Now, look at verse 10. We see it again. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Now, a scepter, if you don't understand, is just kind of a stick. And on the end of the stick would be a medallion or some sort of a carving. And when the king would hold it, it would demonstrate his power. And so as long as the king held the scepter, it would demonstrate his power and his control and his kingship. And it's interesting because when they would sit on the throne, they would hold it here. And it would kind of be between their feet. And that's what we see right there in verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. You see that? So we're we're getting this picture now of Judah that's going to be a ruler. We're getting a picture of Judah who's going to hold this scepter. And then we see this very interesting word there, kind of the second half of verse 10. i want to ask an interesting question. Pull that up if you would. The second half of verse 10, until he to whom it belongs Shiloh shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now that, that, that third line right there, until he to whom it belongs Shiloh shall come. That's a strangely worded little phrase. And I'm curious right here, Just, I want you to raise your hand, not, not including the scripture on the screen. How many of you that have your Bibles have the word Shiloh in it? All right, hands down. How many of you that have your Bibles do not have the word Shiloh in it? Yeah, interesting. Isn't that interesting? If you looked around, about half and half. Well, the, I think the King James and the New American Standard both use the word Shiloh. Uh, ESV and NIV do not use the word Shiloh. And you say, why, why would that be? Why would some of these text use the word shallow why would some translations use it and some not use it well some people translate it to mean the person to whom the staff belongs but the interesting thing about this verse the second half of verse 10 is that there's really great debate about the word shallow now stay with me because right now this may not mean a whole lot to you just stay with me okay i'm gonna tie this up for you nice and neat here in a minute you're gonna love it or i loved it you better love it at least pretend like you loved it okay Made me feel good about it, all the work I put into So there's this word shiloh, and no, here's the interesting thing. Hebrew scholars don't really know what it means. There's really great debate. You read all sorts of commentaries, and like, we just don't know what, so some of them just, here's, here's why some scriptures use it. Some texts use the word shiloh and just leave it in the original. That's the original Hebrew word, and they don't try to translate it. Others take it out and try to figure out what it means, and there's this great debate. There's this word, so here it is, there's this word, they don't know what it means, and you're like, and hang on to that. We're getting back to it, okay? Look at the end of verse 10, I promise. Look at the end of verse 10, right? So, we, so there's this ruler. He's going to be king. He's going to have a scepter. There's this word, name, that nobody really understands or knows. Look at the end of verse 10. The obedience of the nations shall be his. You see that? Right? We're going to see a king that's going to rule over eventually the nations. Look at verses now, 11 and 12. The end of verse 11, he will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes, all right? So his robes are going to be covered in something dark blood or something that looks like blood. His eyes in verse 12 will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So we've got all these interesting ideas, don't we? have got all these interesting thoughts all these interesting ideas about Judah, who's Judah going to be? He's going to be a great ruler. There's going to be a scepter involved. There's this name Shiloh that nobody knows what it means. The nations. Do you have the list up? Go ahead and bring the list up for me if you would, please. I have the list here for you. The, the eyes are, are different. Shiloh, nobody knows the name. Dipped in blood. The nations. The scepter. He's a ruler, right? This is, this is all found in Genesis 49. Okay, so as we read this, we're thinking, yeah, this is Judah. This is interesting. It's, it's pointing to the leadership of Judah. He's going to be a king one day. Kings will come from him. Very interesting. Now, I want you to hold your spot in Genesis chapter 49, if you've got your Bibles. I want you to flip over to Revelation 19. Flip over to Revelation 19, but listen to me. Go ahead and put the reference up on the screen. We have that, I think. Don't read it yet. In the 9.30 service, like people were uh, flipping over and then they're like, verse 9. And I'm talking, I was like, hey, hey, folks, I'm still up here. Listen, listen. So just don't read it yet. Find Genesis, excuse me, find Revelation chapter 19. We're gonna put up on the screen. Now let's just let's just paint this picture for you okay Genesis and Revelation these are bookends right the beginning and the end the alpha and the omega the first and the last Genesis written literally centuries and centuries and centuries before the birth of Christ written millennia before Revelation actually comes to be so when we read Revelation 19 we're looking ahead to what one day will come it's not here yet But it's a prophecy of what will one day come. And Revelation chapter 19, specifically beginning in verse 11, is speaking about the coming Messiah, the return of Christ. Okay? Now, let's read it. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages War Now, beginning of verse 12, here's the analogy. His eyes, remember what we read in Genesis 49? His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. Isn't that interesting? Verse 13, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. There it is. He will rule over them with an iron scepter. There's that idea. He treads the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robes and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How about that imagery? Genesis 49 paints a picture for us millennia, thousands of years later that will be fulfilled only in the second coming of Christ. You see, when we read about Judah, we're not just talking about a king. We're not just talking about Israel. We're talking about the plan that God has had from the beginning to send Messiah to redeem his people back to himself. It's one of, at least in my mind, one of the clearest messianic prophecies in all of the Old Testament. It's absolutely incredible. One writer said it like this, even in Genesis, the spotlight is on Jesus. He's the one mankind has needed so desperately. This is what God has been preparing from the foundations of the earth. This ought to give you and me great confidence in the Bible. It's a supernatural and prophetic book that has stood the test of time and weathered every attack. Now, I want to finish up this morning with just one simple idea. We, we've already seen the, the plan of God through his promises very clearly, we've seen the plan of God now through Messiah very clearly. And here's truth number three as we apply it to your life. We see God's plan through you. We see God's plan through you. See, God created us with a purpose. God created us with a calling. God created us with a plan. And God absolutely has a mission that he wants us to accomplish. He called Abraham to do something, he called Moses to do something, he called David, he called Samuel, he called Paul, he called Peter. On and on the list goes of all these people that he's called. Everybody has been called in this world to accomplish something different for Christ. The question is, what has he called you to do? Who has he called you to be? And so I want to finish with just one final verse. I don't want to miss this opportunity to tie this up nice and neat. Exodus chapter 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you. right, we finished with Genesis. The beginning of Exodus chapter 1 reminds us of Joseph and his family and all the people that came to Egypt. So just, again, the Israelites from Canaan have now all migrated to Egypt. They're living under the control and the care of Joseph and Pharaoh. And then Exodus chapter 1 verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites, remember the promise of the Lord. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Right, They're going to be a great nation, more than the stars in the sky. That was the promise to Abraham, verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithon and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. See, the, the story may be over in Genesis, but the story of the people of Israel and God's plan is just beginning. You see, everything leads to the plan of God, everything leads to Messiah, and when Messiah comes again, he will not only fulfill the prophecies of Genesis. He will fulfill the prophecies of all the scripture and he will return to show once and for all his absolute power and his absolute glory. And so even though the story ends for us today in Genesis, the story of forgiveness and repentance and redemption through Christ is just beginning. See, the question is not, is God's story real The question is, have we found our place in his story? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture of Messiah all those thousands of years ago. Thank you, Father, that you were at work from the beginning to buy us back, to redeem us. Father, offer us forgiveness and reconciliation and repentance and so, Lord, I pray right now you would just speak very clearly to our hearts. Father, help us to understand exactly what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be, to understand the, the, really the mission, Lord, that you've sent us here for. Not to wander through life aimlessly, just kind of hoping something better happens, but to actively pursue your word, Lord, and your will so you can do great things through us. Speak to us even now so you can receive honor and glory in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray amen you can stand we're going to open the altars we always do you can pray about your role your call your mission repentance forgiveness this is your time to respond you come thank you for joining today's sermon we would love to hear how today's message blessed you